this is Judy Pollack, Executive Editor of AdAge, and you're listening to the AdLib Podcast. My guest today is Leanne Leahy, CEO of the VIA Agency in Portland, Maine. She joins us from her home office during the pandemic and talks about everything from the current racial protests to creating a commercial with Jim Perdue remotely via iPhone, to how her Catholic school education has shaped her. Like Dr. Anthony Fauci, she attended Holy Cross, and why she has a disco ball hardwired in her home. And now, here's Leanne Leahy. Well, hi, Leanne. Welcome to the AdLib Podcast. Hi, Judy. Thank you for having me. Always a pleasure to connect. Well, it's so hard to start any conversation these days without talking about the pandemic. So I need to open by asking you how you've been weathering it. Um, Well, it's an interesting and big question because uh, there's the personal, there's the familial, there's the professional, lots of different ways we've been weathering it. I think professionally, we've been weathering it quite well as an agency. And I know, you know, you've talked to lots of agency leaders and we're very lucky as an industry to be able to translate to a virtual existence. Mm-hmm. Um, I have come to realize how lucky we are as I look at some of my clients who are facing supply chain issues or, um, you know, they have warehouses or hourly wage workers. And all of that becomes a bigger challenge when you have to suddenly work from home. Whereas for us, we could move our operations to work from home. And in fact, we did um, in mid-March, the early part of mid-March, before it was the thing to do (laughs) and before um, Maine required us to, because we figured we'd do a test day and see how it all ran. We had the luxury of that even. And it worked so well, but as the day progressed, it became pretty clear that maybe we shouldn't go back to the office. So I will say professionally, it's been um, a gift. I think we've learned so much about our coworkers and how to be um, more understanding of them as whole people and having a little bit more patience. And I think the same is true of our clients. Those are themes we keep hearing, right? And we're certainly it's mm-hmm. experiencing that. Um, and there are some areas where I do think we're just better when we're together. I think when we're reviewing work and talking internally, creative work in particular, um, I miss the camaraderie of being together. And the same is true when we're sort of in that phase of writing a deck or presentation where you're crafting the story. Um, so there are some things that, that well, we're doing them well, we're not do- optimized. And I think as we get the opportunity to start to go back in the office, we're going to do so with the notion of what will benefit, what aspects of our work will benefit from being together more than just moving bodies around because we can So we'll start having certain meetings in the office rather than bringing people back in groups or alphabetical or whatever the mechanisms are. So overall, professionally, I think we've handled it quite well. I'm extremely proud of VIA and everything that we've done. Um, Personally, it's hard. You know, I'm a major extrovert. So like I've had to give presentations into vapor. (laughs) You know, I'm looking at a camera and we have we've had at least one new business opportunity where almost everyone in the receiving end turned off their video. And so I'm like presenting to black boxes. It was painful for someone like me who really derives energy from reactions and seeing other people. So that's been a little hard, but, um, but I've also found a lot of peace and tranquility and there's sort of a beauty in that as well. And then from a family perspective, I have to say as much as I was so sad for my eldest who had to come home from college early and I was sad for my other two who school was canceled and proms and end of year celebrations and step up days. But it's been such 
a nice time for our family. It really has. Um, our family dinners are just a delight. Like they're longer. Everyone doesn't get up and scramble away from the table. We all sit and tell stories and laugh. And so that's been really wonderful. Uh, so it's it's got its highs and it's got its lows. But through it all, I feel very, very lucky. We are also in a extremely lucky position that a lot of our clients are um, considered essential brands. And so I know how much pain many of our you know, peer agencies are experiencing. And we have been um, lucky to have clients that have allowed us to not experience that pain. Yeah. Actually, in talking to people, well, first off, have you had to have any layoffs or furloughs? We have not. I do think it's partly because um, a number of years ago, we changed our structure. So we went from being a typical kind of siloed, hierarchy-laden agency to um, a much flatter, more agile and collaborative structure that we call pods. So we flattened everything. Um, we took out kind of unnecessary layers and we, um, we made four disciplines. So client strategy, um, planning, creative, and project management are all in equal footing. And each business is run by four partners, one from each discipline. And then they have the people who work on their piece of business reporting to them. But because we went to this system, there are more touch points for the client. So we're more productive, we're more collaborative, we're more agile. And we do a lot more with fewer people to begin with. So we've been doing this now for about four years. And our productivity has increased about 150%. And, uh, and the fun factor has gone up quite a bit too. Again, another one of those things that I just feel very, very lucky, but we made that decision a long time ago and it has benefited us in this, yeah. in this time. And talking to a lot of people, it, it, I think it has a lot to do sometimes with your client base too, right? Because some brands are doing better than others. And a lot of your brands, right, seem to be in categories of doing pretty well, Knockwood, right? Liquor, home yeah. improvement, ice cream, things like that, right? Yeah. Yes. Well, as I said, essential brands. <laughs> um, but no, truly, I mean, cleaning supplies yeah. and um, and indulgences and small indulgences yeah. and um, and home improvement. So yeah, but we do have some restaurant clients yeah. who have been struggling and retail clients who've had to close. You know, LL Bean had only closed for the third time in its history, wow. um, and the doors had to be closed because they they couldn't keep it open for. Um, during this time. Now they've gone back to being doing curbside pickup and appointment shopping and their online and um, catalog was open the entire time. But, you know, it's a big pressure to be put on a retail organization. Yeah. But yes, overall, I have to agree with you. Our categories and our client portfolio has benefited us. Well, you know, we're planning our small agency conferences coming up uh, soon. And I think one of the topics we want to talk about is the, how to diversify your roster. It's important to have a diversified roster. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. Yeah. We had a time and, uh, you know, part of the reason we went to this pod structure is um, about five years ago, right as I was taking over as CEO, actually, we had one client who was over 40% of our business and it was not a client that was nice to us. <laughs> <laughs> it was not a client that valued our strategy, and it was not a client that um, allowed us to do work that we were proud of or could share widely in the world. So you have to ask yourself, why is this your client? Yeah, and um, and we did exactly that because we felt it was really um, having a negative impact on the agency to the point where we were afraid we were going to lose all the good people who had built what Via was hoping to be. So we made a choice uh, five years ago to separate from that client 
And in doing so, we did this shrink to grow thing. But that's when we decided to restructure and take an entirely new approach to how we ran businesses. And we've been growing ever since. What about being independent? Does that play into the, I mean, some of the big holding companies have to lay off by necessity because of the fact that they have, you know, public shareholders that are looking for certain quarterly results. Does it benefit you being independent in this current environment? I certainly think so. Um, We, you know, we feel the founder and the executive team and I all feel that we have a moral obligation to um, put people before revenue. And I don't think that um, all the holding company agencies have the luxury of having that conversation even. Um, The idea that we can be led by sort of what our morality is first is an immeasurable benefit of independence. And and it's great because it makes me jump out of bed and run to my home office every day because I know I'm doing it to keep people healthy and employed and, and moving forward. And, um, and I think the other benefit is we moved to the beginnings of an employee-owned program. Uh, it's not a traditional ESOP. It's a bespoke program. But we're, in the, we're about halfway through a 10-year program. And, um, and that's a big motivator, too, because everybody in the agency understands that we're all pulling together for ourselves and each other. We talked briefly, you know, about how it's a, things change so fast in the last two months, even it's just, it's a rocket ride. Unbelievable. But um, part of the, the problem, I think for a lot of people has been isolation because you're working at home and you're not, you, you reference it yourself, how you're sort of a people person and you want to get out there. Um, and I know last year you guys had um, a sad event in that um, your chief creative officer committed suicide. I'm just wondering if the learnings that you took from that have somehow helped you navigate the current situation with your crisis, with your, uh, with your people. Yeah, I hope so. Um, we certainly talk very openly about feelings of isolation and anxiety. Um, I've been very clear about whatever personal struggles I've had being an extrovert who, as I said, draws my energy from people and not being with people. Um, we've created a space where we've told people, you know, if you need to take time because you're feeling particularly anxious, you will not be judged for that. You know, we, we certainly need everyone to be at their best because when you are feeling better, somebody else is going to have childcare issues and they need you to step in for them. So right now they're willing to step in for you. So we've created that culture of openness. Um, and I think it's going rather well. We've also put a lot of things in place um, so that those people who do live alone have ways to check in. So we have you know, managers are calling their their teams every day. Um, I'm doing weekly calls with my, not, I do talk to my executive team every day, but we're doing weekly calls with the director level who are then doing calls with all of their people. So everybody's getting checked in on a lot. We have a standing morning coffee that uh, was intended for those people. And again, we thought this was all going to be for a month or so, you know, and here we are in the third month. Mm-hmm. But um, it's intended for anybody who, just is used to going in and chatting with some people in the kitchen as they start their morning at VIA, but now they're all alone. And, um, and so we have that every day and different people make sure we pop in. We have a happy hour every other week. We have Zumba classes and yoga. We gave the entire edit agency, interestingly, in early March, um, not preparing for this, but just because of what we had experienced last year, we gave the entire agency um, a subscription to Headspace because we wanted to encourage, um, you know, mental well-being and stillness and presence and, and all of that. So 
Um, that was already in people's hands and we've activated against that. So their teams, our wellness committee um, has been very active in kind of leading guided meditations and being there with tips and tricks about uh, mental health. And we do make a really good point of making sure that we're connecting people with the resources that we have that are more um, professional and expert in that field. So through our EAP or other experts that we've come in touch with over the last year. Right. So it's a big topic. Yeah, it um, is. Because, you know, there are wonderful things we've learned about working from home for sure, but it's not easy for everyone. And, and speaking of working from home, um, how do you think it's really going to change the world going forward? One of the things, for, for, for example, I thought was super interesting because uh, a lot of agencies like your own talk about being in not out of the way places, but not on the coast in the big cities. And that in some cases has been your pitch, right? Come out to Portland. It's beautiful. It's a whole different world. And I think we're starting to see, I mean, uh, for example, Jeff Benjamin, you know, he went to Tombris not too long ago. Yeah. Um, Greg Hahn has, it's just today we announced, or he announced that he's going to no fixed address. Um, so I'm wondering if this is a benefit in some way for smaller agencies and more rural agencies in terms of talent. Yeah, I think it is. I mean, we started, I think you're familiar with our program called Velocity. Um, mm -hmm. We started it two years ago and, and that was intended to break the barriers of the walls effectively because we have, we're in Maine. And so diversity is even harder in Maine than it is everywhere else. And it's hard everywhere else. And it's particularly hard in advertising. And it's a commitment that we have to diversify our workforce. And so we created a program by which we had a collective of people from all over the country and actually all over the world who uh, represented different ethnicities, geographies, life stages, abilities, um, you know, sexual orientations, whatever it is. And we recruited them as though they were full-time hires, right? So they went through the full recruiting process, full interview process, reference checks and everything. But we recruited them to be part of this collective. And as part of the Velocity Collective, you were effectively allowed to freelance for anyone, but you were on retainer to VIA. And what we did was we paid you a retainer, which in turn meant you had a VIA email, you were assigned to a pod, so a client um, account, and then you were to check in sort of weekly just to make sure you know what was going on with your pod because that way when we did need to activate you on a project, we could do so without a steep learning curve. And the idea was when we activated them on a project, they'd get a project fee on top of their retainer. And we did this so that we could get more people, more exposure to VIA. And the rule of thumb was when I started it, you had to be in Maine at least five days every quarter. So every Velocity member, because I wanted people to come from all over the world, but not necessarily have to make the full commitment to move to Maine because it's bigger than just moving to VIA, right? And yeah. Um, yet they could come and see it and experience it firsthand. And the hope has always been at the end of each year, I'd like to see a third of the Velocity participants who say, this was great, I want to do it again. A third of them who say, this is great, but do you have any full-time job openings? Because I now have fallen in love with VIA and I see myself in Maine. And a third that we just sort of mutually agree this isn't working and they move on. So we've done two years. And in the two years, um, I can't say we've hit a third, a third, a third, but we've definitely had people in all three groups. So I feel good about that. And, um, and I hope, you know, we our intent is to continue that program. I think it will get bigger because of what we've learned about working remotely. And, um, and I do think it's an opportunity for us to continue to hire talent that we might not otherwise be able to hire. And for our 
current employees, there's absolutely going to be a work from home component um, ongoing. And as I said in an agency meeting last week, you know, I think we all know work from home differently than we did before. Because while we always offered flexibility, very often a work from home day would really kind of borderline on I'm on vacation, but available for phone calls. And um, I think everybody has been working so hard and so committed that they understand there are benefits to work from home. You're home when you start and home when you finish, but you can also pop out and go for a bike ride with your kids at lunch and you get to see your family or help with whatever homework question comes up in the course of the day, but you're still also completely present for work. And so um, now that everybody is experiencing that so fully, I think that there will absolutely be a component of that forevermore in certainly our business, across our industry, and probably across all businesses at large. Well, speaking of work, um, you have been producing some campaigns remotely. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Um, we did produce, actually, we've done a bunch of stuff. We did, we've done um, two campaigns for Purdue. Um, first, Jim Purdue, who shot himself on an iPhone while well, we directed it remotely because um, he wanted to send a special message of thanks to the food service community, food supply. Um, so we did that. And then recently we've just um, shot another campaign that's about to launch that is kind of in the zeitgeist of feeling how we're all feeling and the role that food plays in our lives. Um, we've we've done some work with Lowe's remotely. Um, I know you guys talked about our DIY thank you campaign that we did with them. And then um, we've since also introduced kind of a few spots, one that was more sort of general brand. And then now we're getting specifically into products around the transformation that your home is going through and how we're all feeling that and changing with our homes and how exciting that is. And it's very optimistic. Um, it's not, uh, it's, it's very optimistic. It's not sort of in these uncertain times. It's very, yeah. let's look at the bright side of what's coming out of our homes and the role that they play in our lives. Cause they're effectively kind of like a family member. Um, we've produced some work for Chick-fil-A and uh, mostly social and digital stuff that we're working with them. And uh, we've found some new business too. So we're kind of running the gamut. We're doing, we're producing some new work for Cat Litter for uh, Arm & Hammer now too. So there's, there's a lot of different types of production, everything from mm -hmm. hiring multiple DPs to shoot, to casting and sort of shooting remotely, to using iPhones, to using CGI. You know, we've, we've kind of touched all of the things that everybody's talking about and trying. Uh, it's an exciting time. Yeah. I saw some of the Purdue work. I thought it was really good. Um, and you. I can so relate to the home improvement thing because even just myself, you know, I went from starting with Zoom and looking at people's houses and going, oh, I need to fix mine because theirs <laughs> looks so much better to, you know, just so focused on my yard. It's never looked this good in my whole life, you know. I know, right? But it's My spring cleanup cost me three times as much this year because I've been looking out the window so much. Exactly, because the idea is it's <laughs> sort of my vacation this year. My deck is going to be my vacation, you know. And it's, it's. I mean, I think that's true for a lot of people. And, uh, and there's positivity to that too. Yeah, exactly. Um, I did want to ask on, on a lot more serious note, um, you know, we happen to be talking on a day where there's been a lot of um, racial tension going on. Uh, this is going to air next week, but um, there, there's been a lot of uh, been race riots. There have been all kinds of issues, um, and brands are weighing in on this. And um, is, I wanted to ask what your perspective is on this. Is, is it a good time for brands to weigh in? Should some of them not weigh in? What considerations should you have if you're a CMO right now? I mean, it's a tough one. I think that um, 
brands that have a clear point of view always know how to behave in moments like this. Um, you know, it's why you see Nike quickly making a statement. They have a very clear point of view. They always have. Um, and I think there are other brands that have a clear point of view. And I think those that don't, you can't scramble and find one in a crisis situation. But I do think it's it's um, inherent on all of us to stand up and say something and do something more than say something, do something to reverse this situation in our country. I feel like this whole pandemic and on top of it, the race riots and this awful behavior on the part of so many people in so many different factions is offering us the opportunity for a moral renaissance. And I think those who get in front of that and lead the way, I don't even want to say we'll win. It's not about winning, yeah. but we'll make us all better. Yeah. You know, and I know that we're not um, running to our clients to try and find their version of the ad. That's not really what it's a point, but we are asking if there's anything that, that we can support them in doing that um, will benefit their employee base and their customer base. And then as an agency, we, our diversity and inclusion committee, literally right before this, I was on a call with them talking about what we're going to do. And we are certainly making a, a public statement, um, not just about condemning the actions that have happened and led to these riots, not just about the idea that racism is bad and we're not racist, but that we are defiantly anti-racism and that we are going to take action as a community as community of Via, hopefully the community of Portland, Maine, and the larger country to make actionable change for the long term. Because, um, and, and my team is literally brainstorming what that means right now. Because does that mean that we um, take a certain, you know, in, in charitable giving, they always talk about time, treasure, talent, right? And so we have a lot of talent. How do we harness that and, and use it for good? How do we support causes that need our thinking and our creative minds? How do we um, incite real action for the long term and real change in our nation? Because we can't keep having this conversation and keep saying this is terrible. It is terrible, but that's not enough. Yeah. You know, there's two interesting things that come to mind when you were talking. One is, at least with the pandemic, I felt like there was sort of a vacuum initially um, in the political arena and brands kind of stepped up to take responsibility or to, you know, here, here are ways we can help you. Here are things we can do. I think they actually, you know, people talk about purpose, but there really was some honest purpose that went on. And, and with this case too, it's sort of like, you know, nobody knows what to do uh, on a political level. And so hopefully maybe brands can step into the breach if they do it correctly at this point too. Yeah. And I hope it's not, I think the problem is that it becomes political. It's not right. really a political issue. It's a human issue. Right. This is a human right. issue about how we treat one another and how we respect one another in the world. It's being politicized. But I hope, and I certainly intend for VIA, that we rise above that. And we look at the idea that, that as a human race, we are hurting and disregarding one another. And that is not acceptable. And that needs to be fixed. And we will do what we can to fix that. And we can't change the whole world all at once, although I seem to always believe we can, but but realistically we can't, but we can certainly um, take steps yeah. to make a real change, a real tangible change in our corner of the world, and that will have a ripple effect. Of course, the problem with the ad industry is it still isn't diversified as enough Correct. as it should be, not even close. 
So it's kind of hard for them to talk intelligently on this topic when they're not really walking the walk themselves, no? Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. And that's the hardest thing for me. You know, I wanted to, as a CEO, I felt like I should write a statement to my agency. And I felt like I didn't have, I mean, I certainly can, I can certainly speak from the heart, right? But I also don't have the experience. I'm a, I'm a white woman in my, we won't mention what years I'm in, but, <laughs> um, and, and I have been, I have benefited from white privilege. There's no question. So I don't have the context. So um, I reached out to some of our employees who could help me understand. And that's where our initial idea came from that rather than just talking internally, we wanted to say something to the community. So we are working right now on running an ad that speaks to our community about how we feel and where we stand on this issue as an agency. Because as a creative agency in Portland, we have a responsibility to help shape, shape the cultural conversation of Portland. Mm-hmm. And Velocity helped us do that. We're involved in other in other organizations that help us do that. But now is a time for us to really step out and say, we are going to not just help, we are going to lead. And so um, rather than sort of just shooting off a, an email, which also is valued, mm-hmm. uh, we wanted to take some action. So we're doing that first. Right. And then the team is thinking through what are the long-term implications? And um, even in the, the hour that I spent with them before I had to hop off and, uh, and join you, there were so many great ideas about things that we can fundamentally shift our business model and not just hiring, although that is a big component of it, but, um, but the way we spend our time and energy and the way we commit our people and what they're working on and how they are being educated um, about working with different people. Well, we'd be interested in knowing what you do. Please keep us, you know, in the loop. Um, what Absolutely. Here. It has to happen. Yeah. And as an industry, I think it would be a worthwhile pursuit or the industry as a whole. Absolutely. Absolutely. So now I'm going to jump to a completely different topic. Is it, is okay. it true that you have a disco ball in your home? <laughs> I do. <laughs> I do. I do. And I, oh, my contractor thought I was nuts. <laughs> I, I, I do like a disco ball, but um, I don't know why or where I got this vision of having a disco ball that was hardwired into the rec room. And it's on a switch and I have a spotlight that hits it and colored lights, the hue lights that hit it from different angles. And we turn our, our rec room into a bit of a dance party. But um, when I bought it, you know, I just bought a standard disco ball and it comes with the, either you can get battery or you can get the one that plugs into an outlet. And my contractor kept saying, so you want me to put an outlet in the ceiling? I was like, no, no, no. I want you to rewire this um, disco ball so that it, is on a switch and it's hardwired in the center of the room. And he was like, why would you do that? <laughs> and I said, I, why would you not do that? Yeah, I know. <laughs> like, it's too much fun. Well, what, what the viewers can't see is that our producer, Max Sternberg, is saying, love the disco ball idea. So <laughs> he's chatting as we're talking. Yeah. Dancing is always a great thing to do. It's always a good choice. Even if you're terrible at it, it's always a good choice. And so a disco ball is just a constant reminder that, you know what? Just always dance. Mm-hmm. You know, I, in that another article I think I found about you online, it talks about where well, you talked about your children, and it said that you had a made-up holiday called Make Mistakes Day. Yes, our biggest mistake is that sometimes we forget to celebrate. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it started when my kids were little, um, when my oldest was little in particular, and there was so much pressure in society to be right and be perfect and. He came home from kindergarten saying, I don't know why everyone talks about perfect. We learned in school there's no such thing as perfect, so it's unattainable. 
And I was like, you're right. And I don't know why people spend so much time. And so we invented a holiday that happens the day before his birthday, which is his birthday is actually June 12th. So thank you for reminding me. Now make us do it on June 11th. (laughs) Um, And on June 11th, you can try something new, take some risks, um, do something wrong intentionally just to see what happens. Mm -hmm. And there are no consequences. I mean, obviously you have to stay within reins. My children are now 20, 17 and 14. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) I think the the game changed from when they were (laughs) seven, four and one, but, um, but yeah, so it's just intended to remind you that, um, you can't be perfect. And sometimes you learn the most from failing. And so it's just encouraging a little bit of failure. So now I have to ask you, what was the biggest failure that you had that you learned from? The biggest failure that I had? Well, gosh, there's so many. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me about it. (laughs) Um, I don't know. I have two regrets of things I didn't do that I wish I did. Uh, Uh Does that qualify? Yeah, sure. They're sort of silly, but I was was in a movie when I was um, eight years old. And it was a CBS television movie of the week. And we went up to Canada and we shot for six weeks and I had a principal role. And um, I was eight years old, and at the this might be why I have a disco ball. At the at the rap party, and I didn't dance. I was too shy. I sat off in the corner the whole time, and I'll never get that night back. And then the second one, um, so that taught me never never avoid something just because it scares you. Happens. So now I kind of try and live by what's the worst that can happen. And if the worst that can happen will hurt someone else, then I wouldn't do it. But if the worst that can happen is I might get embarrassed, I'm all in. It's funny when you talked about the christening, I, I noticed from your bio that you went to a school, you had come from a Catholic school background. I has did. That, so, so did I. So, um, but I'm wondering, has that shaped your behavior at all? Um, yeah. You know what I'm asking without even. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. I actually, I'm, I'm like really a Catholic school girl. I started going to Catholic school in sixth grade went all the way through high school and then chose to go to a Jesuit college, right. the Holy Cross. Yeah. So, um, and they both have affected me in very different ways. I think my high school, middle school and high school years affected me probably, yes, it was a Catholic school, but more than that, it was an all women's school, an all girls school. And that has absolutely, I've learned actually in a lot of our um, unconscious bias training, I've learned what an effect that had for me on me and what a strong perspective being an all women gave me in those formative years. Because there are things that I see and hear other women do and it's flabbergasted. It blows my mind that they would ever put themselves in that situation or they would give in to something like that. And I said, well, why wouldn't you just speak up for yourself? And I've learned that not everyone is taught that you have that voice. And so I am definitely not only my own, but I've definitely tried to instill in the agency, you have a voice here, use it, and you will not be condemned for using it, you'll be celebrated. So that, I think, more about being an all-girls school than being a Catholic school, but certainly when I chose to double down and go to a Jesuit college, um, I definitely have been impacted by that in ways that are so beyond what I could even calculate. I did not mean to um, go there and sort of come out a more moral person, but I think I did. And I don't mean that to sound self-righteous in any way. I just am led by integrity always. And honesty and integrity are at the forefront. And um, and it makes a lot of business decisions really easy, really easy, because I already know what the answer is. And yes, maybe we have to figure out the easiest or best path to get there, but I know what the answer is. And I know how to, um, you know, I was taught at a Jesuit college to be men and women for others. 
And, um, and I think we're seeing that in our country with my, um, my co-graduate, my co-alum, Dr. Fauci, who, um, you know, does the same thing. It's, he also went to Holy Cross, but it's the same idea. It's now is a time that we are selfless and we put others first. And that is very much the underpinning of the Jesuit education that I got. That and the idea that you should question everything, everything in the world, because that's how your opinions about them become stronger. Um, how your beliefs become stronger is to question everything and not take anything on face value. So certainly my education on those perspectives has really affected me. Um, I think that both of those come from the fact that it was Catholic school, but uh, it's bigger than just that. Mm. So interesting. Did you, had you considered, did you want to be an actress? Is that how you were in the movie or what happened? Um, not sort of, and not really. Okay. <laughs> um, so I started working, believe it or not, in advertising when I was six months old. Get out. Of here. Um, but on the other side of the camera. Okay. <laughs> so I was an ivory snow baby, um, different from ivy soap, but I was an ivory snow baby, so the detergent, and that was from about six months to a year, I think, or maybe six to eighteen months. I don't remember because I was six months old. So why would I remember? <laughs> but. Um, so I just always grew up working. Uh, my mom sort of loved acting and uh, got each of us, I had a brother and a sister. I have a brother and a sister. And each of us got involved slightly different ages. My brother was six years old. I was six months old. My sister, I think, did her first job when she was just weeks old. Um, and then we each kind of stayed in it different lengths of time too. And it was always a potential for me. I, I was, um, it, was, it was mapped out in my family as an opportunity that if you wanted to pursue it, you certainly could. But if you wanted to stop, you could always stop too. And so when I got to, I worked all the way through high school. Um, I worked and I did, you know, as I said, I did a feature film when I was eight. I did a lot of commercials. I did a ton of print work. And then when I was um, in high school, I was doing small parts and a lot of extra work because a minute after I had a principal role in a feature film, my parents, the very next thing they booked for me was an extra role where I basically sat on a bus for 24 hours in the freezing cold at starting at 4 a.m. They needed to show me humility on the other side of the business, which good for them. Yeah. Um, anyway, so I, I just, I loved it, but I didn't love it enough that I wanted to make it my career. And it came time to apply to college and I was sort of saying, okay, now's the point where you either go on ramp A or ramp B. And for me, I just wanted to get off the acting ramp and, and go to ramp B in school and everything, but not professionally. Mm -hmm. My brother did the opposite. He, he, well, he didn't go to school for acting, but he kept acting through college. And then he did go to graduate school and he worked for a few years after college. Um, but then he ultimately gave it up as well and decided to be a professor and now head of school. So mm -hmm. we all, we all did it differently, but it was a great, um, it was a great joy growing up. And, um, I, the lessons I learned from it are just huge. I mean, public speaking and confidence and ideas and basing a crowd and all of that stuff. You know, well, you mentioned acting and you also mentioned your mom. Um, I read a story somewhere, I think, where she, you told a story about doing a performance and your mom gave you sort of an unusual review that affected your, yes, indeed. The way you, your outlook on life. Can indeed. You tell, you tell um, I think it was sixth or I think it might've been seventh grade. I think it was Midsummer Night's Dream, seventh grade. And I came off stage and uh, my parents were there. And my father was going, oh, that was fabulous. It was so great. It was wonderful. And I said to my mother, how was it? And she said, nah, not your best. 
And a lot of people say, oh, that's so mean. And my father even in the moment was like, why would you say that to her? And she said, because when I give her a compliment, she needs to know it's genuine. And I completely respected that. I still, to this day, respect that. And I, um, you know, I would never look to hurt someone ever, but I do think sometimes honest feedback is the most gracious gift you can give someone because then when you are throwing praise in their direction, they know that it's incredibly warranted and very sincere. Well, I'll be honest and say, I really enjoyed talking to you today. Oh, thank you. I always enjoy talking to you, Judy. Yeah, always fun. But I do need to know, what do you think your impact on of Catholic school on you has been? Uh, that's a hard question, you know, and I did go to an all girls Catholic school too, um, high school. And yes, you're right in that you didn't really think, you know, all your friends were your friends and you didn't really feel, I didn't feel like I had to dress especially fancy to impress someone else. You know, even at that age, you were sort of who you were. Yeah. And to this day, two of my best friends, this is many decades later, are still friends that I had in high school. Yeah. In fact, one of them was from grade school. I've met her in the sixth grade. I'll, I'll say it. We've been friends for 50 years. So yeah. it's just amazing. We, I, it's kind of shocking, but my um, high school friends and I just went away for our 50th birthday right before the pandemic. And there were... Um, 14 of us who went away school friends and I are going away and everyone's like, you're friends with 14 people you went to high school with. I was like 14 women I went to high school with, <laughs> you know, and it is, it's there. There's a sisterhood there that is really magical mm-hmm. and, um, and forever. I think. I'm glad I asked the question then. Yeah, I am too. All right. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate thanks. it. Oh, thanks for being here. I so appreciate it. And I hope that I will see you with these your small agency. Yes, indeed. And stay well and healthy and, Let's all hope for better days ahead for many reasons. Once again, this is Judy Pollack from AdAge, and I'd like to thank Leanne Leahy, CEO of the VIA Agency, for being with us today. I'd also like to thank our producer, Max Sternlich, who totally deserves his own disco ball. If you enjoyed this week's AdLib, and you know you did, make sure to subscribe to your favorite player. Thanks for joining us. See you next week.